0: Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, episodes Surprise and Innocence, which are two parters. Um, if this is your first time ever listening to my podcast on Buffy, I recap/slash review every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates. So, um, these episodes, Surprise, aired on the 19th of January, 1998, and the second part of the two-parter was the day after on the 20th. So I decided to just record, since it's a two-parter, to do it together instead of having, you know, a podcast come out yesterday and a podcast come out today. So, let's get into it. I said many times last week that Bad Eggs was like the last cheesy, fun episode of season two. Um, I may be wrong about that. There's probably other like cheesy episodes here and there as well, but overall things are getting dark and this is where it starts. So man, let's get into it. Um, I have spent the last maybe three hours? It's been a while um, because my I always do "quote unquote" research for these episodes by I not only watch them at least twice, but I also have several Buffy academic books that I um, consult to see when these particular episodes were mentioned and what was said about them and all that stuff. Plus, I have two episode guides that I consult, and there's a lot that is said about this two-parter for good reason. I guess I should stop, you know philosophizing about it and tell you the actual plot first since that's the first thing you're going to need to know um i might as well say this from the very beginning um as you may or may not know if you don't know my Buffy podcast is not spoiler free. I will regularly talk about shit that happens five years in the future, which we literally won't get to for more, for five years because of the nature of my watching every episode 20 years after it aired. Um, the nature of my project. So, um, there's your warning. This will not be spoiler free. Okay. So, as I always like to do, I'm going to read the, um, the description of the episode in my least favorite episode guide book called The Complete Slayer Um, so I'll read you both the synopsis given in that book for surprise and for innocence so first surprise Buffy has a nightmare in which Drusilla kills Angel Jenny is visited by her uncle Inyos and reveals Angel's involvement with Buffy Enos demands that she keep them apart. Due to his injuries, Spike is confined to a wheelchair while Drusilla takes delivery of takes delivery of mysterious boxes. A surprise birthday party is arranged for Buffy, but is ruined by a vampire attack. Angel realizes that the vampires are collecting body parts of the judge. Angel realizes that? I mean I guess he does, sort of. A demon who, when reassembled, can destroy humanity. Angel finally professes his love for Buffy, and they consummate their relationship with disastrous consequences, dot, dot, dot. The description of innocence. Angel reverts to his Angelus persona and visits Spike and Drusilla. The judge attempts to disintegrate him, but there is no humanity left to kill. Drusilla tells Angelus... They plan to bring forth Armageddon, but he asks for one night to punish the Slayer. Buffy goes to her lover's apartment to find, but finds him cruel and dismissive. Angelus turns up at school, intending to kill those close to Buffy, starting with Willow. He's prevented by Xander and Jenny. Xander reforms a plan to steal an army rocket launcher to defend the judge, to defeat the judge. And with the help of Willow, Oz, and Cordelia, he succeeds. He succeeds? Okay. <laughs> Keith Topper the writer of this book um that I have I I really only keep because I've highlighted in it and written in it and shit like that so it's like no one else would want it um it's just sort of a sexist awful person but I still <laughs> enjoy being mad at him I guess which is why I always use these episode descriptions <laughs> Buffy and Giles discover Jenny's dark secret and that the curse cannot be reinvoked. Buffy and Giles discover Jenny's dark secret? Buffy fucking discovers it and Giles happens to be there. Putting Xander's plan into action, they follow the judge and Jealous and Drusilla to a shopping mall where Buffy uses the weapon to destroy the judge. Well, at least he gave Buffy credit for using that weapon. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I hate that book. Um. Okay, I have... One, two, three, four, five, six pages of notes for these two episodes. Um, When I talked about Bad Eggs last week, it was only like a 30 minute long podcast. This one's probably going to be like an hour and a half. So just drop in. Let's get into it. So essentially, the metaphor drawn with these two episodes is on the surface, you might think that it is... Um, sex has consequences, losing your virginity is a loss of innocence, but um, that's not really how it goes. The episodes are titled First Surprise, Then Innocence. The point that Joss Whedon was trying to make, which is kind of difficult to parse out, that this is what he was trying to say with titling the second part Innocence, the very last scene of the two-parter is Buffy and Joyce on the couch together, and they're both wearing white. So the what he apparently was trying to say there, which he said in the commentary for, these, for that episode, was that she hasn't lost anything. Because Joyce looks at her and tells her that she doesn't look any different because it was just her birthday. You know, like, you don't look any different. Um, and that was kind of, we're supposed to take that as she hasn't lost anything. And they never say anything about her losing her virginity, which is essentially what's happening in this episode. But they never use that language, which I think is intentional. She hasn't lost anything. Um, So I think that's important. And I just wanted to say that before we talk about everything, because on the surface, sometimes it seems like Joss Whedon is placing a judgment on sex, like it's not good. It leads to awful shit but I think what he's really trying to say is that this is a horror show and if you have sex with a vampire bad shit is going to happen okay um let's see the main thing that I saw in the main symbolism there's a lot of symbolism going on in these episodes there are three different instances where Buffy and Angel are caught in water like either rain or going through wet sewers or standing next to the docks um or like how did they get what oh in the sprinklers at the end when they're in the mall and she's just killed the judge with the rocket launcher and she has like a confrontation with him at this point he's evil um so water is a symbol for transition apparently um and there's also a scene there's lots of like visual cues of that as well like when buffy's standing on the stairwell when she comes home the night after having sex with angel before she knows that he's evil now she's standing on the stairs talking to her mom and for the first time according to one of the books that I have um, that this is the first time you could visibly see the art prints that are on the stairwell in Buffy's house, which are of doorways. Um, So she's not only on stairs, which is transitional, right? (laughs) But there's pictures of doorways right next to her. Also transitional. There's also the first time Buffy and Angel see each other in this two-parter. They're like making out and it's, it's the very end of the night For him, but it's the very beginning of the day for her, which is something that they point out in the conversation. And um, they're standing in a doorway as they're having this conversation. So everything is like all the symbolism is leading to transition and to, and also the coloring of everybody's outfits throughout the episode is a big deal too. There are a lot of parallels drawn in the symbolism between Buffy and Drusilla in this episode. And, um, every time they show Drusilla she's wearing blood red or black and every time you see Buffy throughout the series, throughout the course of her transition um, in this two-parter she starts out wearing a lot of white and then by the end of the episode she's wearing a lot of black and you know some of, at the very last scene though Buffy's wearing white again so I think that was intentionally like at first you might be like what so you're saying that she's dark now she's evil now that she's had sex but um i think that very last scene she's in like white socks and white pants and her mom also has like a white shirt white socks and white pants like everything's white on her mom and it's supposed to symbolize goodness i guess and that she hasn't lost anything which i said already but anyway um yeah anyway there's just i could I will probably mention several more times different symbolism um, in this two-parter, but there is a lot going on when it comes to the symbolism of the characters and everything going on there. Um, the thing that is most important to me, so Buffy has, with throughout the course of these two episodes, she has three different prophetic dreams. So I'll kind of go through the overall theme. Of, and plot of these dreams right now all together. So the episode opens with Buffy in a dream and the water symbolism is there as well from the very beginning. She, you see her in the dream, you see her wake up. Of course you don't know it's a dream yet. You just see her waking up in the middle of the night. She um, reaches for a glass of water on her nightstand and um, she reacts as if there's nothing there there actually is a little bit of water at the bottom of the cup I just noticed that but she reacts as if oh god there's no water in here so she leaves her bedroom to go seek out water and as soon as she walks out of her bedroom she ends up in the bronze and that's when you're like okay it's a dream and at this point she's wearing um, in all the books they describe it as a white nightgown but it's not really white it's like really light blue or light gray or something it's not strictly white so that's just a little nitpick that me with perfect color acuity according to some color tests that I've done has to point out that it is not a white nightgown it's just almost white Um, anyway so she ends up in the bronze and when she's at the bronze she sees Willow who is um, talking to a monkey in French. So this refers back to she actually says to the monkey I'm not going to try to pronounce any French words for you right now but in French she says to the monkey something like why did you steal the hippo's pants or something like that Um, which refers back to a conversation that Willow had with Oz a few episodes ago where um, Oz was just making jokes about animal crackers and about how the the hippo has no pants and like and he's jealous of the monkey because the monkey has pants so um and that is something that you would assume Buffy was not there in that scene so you would assume that Buffy would not know about that so I feel like that's the first indication you get that this isn't a regular dream this is a prophetic dream because Buffy probably had no idea what that was all about and um so I feel like that's an indicator that it's a prophetic dream and not just a regular dream. And um, then she encounters, oh, you've seen, I forgot that whenever Buffy walks out into the hallway after she, when she first leaves her bedroom, she's not immediately in the bronze. She sees Drusilla stalking down the hallway wearing the black dress that she was wearing during her resurrection a few episodes ago whenever um they almost killed angel because they were using his blood to restore drusilla's health Um, so she's wearing that like ceremonial black dress which was the first time you ever saw drusilla in black they use a lot of color symbolism with the way that they dress drusilla um the when we're first introduced to her she only wears white and it's in her sense it's not you're not supposed to see her as innocent because of the white. You're supposed to see her as frail because of the white. Because um, they show her in a lot of white nightgowns and things like that. And they just show her being very weak because she was not in full health. She was not at full strength until she wore that black dress for that ceremony, um, the ritual to restore her health. So she's wearing that dress in the hallway, which makes sense that she would be wearing that dress in her dream because at this point they still think Buffy they still think Drusilla and Spike are dead um, because Buffy like collapsed an organ on them and the church burned down as they were leaving so they assumed that Drusilla and Spike were both dead Um, so it would make sense that she would be in that dress in her dream anyway so then she's in the bronze she sees Willow talking to the monkey then she sees her mother which of course makes no sense that her mom would be in the bronze And she's holding um, like a big coffee mug like Friends. (laughs) Um, What's that? What's the place on Friends? The coffee shop? Central Perk. She's like Central Perk sized coffee mug and saucer and she the first English words spoken in the two-parter show are um, Joyce asking Buffy, do you really think you're ready Buffy? So, duh, talking about having sex with your vampire boyfriend, do you really think you're ready? Um, hitting you over the head with that right there. Um, Anyway, (laughs) and then at that point she turns around, she sees Angel and she's like so happy to see him and she starts walking towards him. But before she can get to him, um, Drusilla comes up behind him and kills him. So. Buffy wakes up for real this time and she sees it as it's a, as it, a prophetic dream. Um, she thinks that, you know, maybe Drusilla's still alive. Maybe she's going to kill Angel, blah, 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 blah. The second dream that she has, she is, this time she is walking through the place where Spike and Drusilla live, which isn't like a warehouse or something. And it's all decorated for a party. And it's decorated the exact way that it is decorated for a party right then and um, she's just walking around I, I think this this dream is really short like all I remember about it is that she is walking around their warehouse she sees that it's decorated for a party and then she looks up on a platform and she sees Angel and um, Drusilla walks up right behind him and kills him again so she has now had two dreams where she sees Drusilla killing Angel. And so in this dream, the parallels between them are, are pretty big. It, they didn't give you enough time to really take this in. This is the first time I ever noticed this, actually. So if you watched it, don't feel bad if you didn't notice this. But in that second dream, Drusilla is wearing the exact same nightgown that Buffy is wearing, which is a long um, white silk nightgown with like this antique lace detail going on. She looks fucking good in it. Um, Drusilla, not so much. She doesn't really have the curves to fill it out the way that Buffy does, (laughs) but um, it's really hard to tell because she's half hidden behind Angel whenever she kills him in this dream, but she is wearing the exact same nightgown. So... I think that's important detail that it would be easy to miss Um, so that's the second dream the third dream that she has is towards the end of the second part um, which is just Buffy is at a funeral Um, they don't show like what the gravestone is but at this point Angel's soul has already been lost so one could assume that they were at the funeral for Angel. And Drusilla is not in that episode I don't think. But um, anyway they're at a funeral and she looks at Angel and Angel says something to her. What does he say? You have to know what to see. And then she looks over at Jenny who's taking a veil away from her face. And so she immediately knows that Jenny knows something. Um, and goes to the school and confronts her immediately, which we haven't gotten into the details of that yet, but those are the three prophetic dreams that Buffy has. I really like when this show uses um, Buffy's prophecy dreams for plot points. Um, I just, I think they don't put enough of an emphasis on that because part of the power of the Slayer is having these prophecy dreams, like like she has visions essentially, but they don't, I mean, they don't happen all the time. They're not like super useful to the, to the plot most of the time, but when they use it, I think it's done really well and I just wish they would do it more. Um, so God, all I've done is talk about the dreams. I haven't even passed the first half of my first page of notes yet, you guys. And it's already, we're already, we've already been talking for 20 minutes. Okay. Um, So I keep teasing all these parallels between Buffy and Drusilla. Obviously, they're wearing the same nightgown in that second um, dream sequence. But um, what else do we got? Mm -hmm. So I think what they're... What they might only be trying to say here by making all of these parallels between Drusilla and Buffy is that Drusilla's fate that has already come to pass is what Buffy's fate is about to be because Angel was the one that turned Drusilla into a vampire and before he did so, he killed all of her friends and family, he drove her insane and then he turned her into a vampire he waited until he'd completely broken her down before he turned into her into a vampire he's the reason that she's crazy um so I think the that's probably all they were trying to say with that but I read a lot more into it because of my specific like Drusilla is one of my very favorite um horror characters of all time and part of that is because she's crazy part of it is because she's awesome anyway but (laughs) whatever you guys know i love drusilla but i have this theory and no one ever really talks about it so i think it's just my own personal headcanon but i enjoy it's something that i take to watching buffy that um makes me love it even more my theory is that and this is not the first time they've drawn big parallels between Drusilla and Buffy. And I think that part of that is because Drusilla had visions of the future before she was ever turned into a vampire. She is a seer. Like, uh, plot points are given through Drusilla. In this episode alone, you see that the the moment that Angel loses his soul, she feels it. Um, and she kind of knows what's happened back in the episode lie to me which was like three or four episodes ago something like that um, she made there was a little bit of foreboding where she said something in reference to Buffy she said something like poor little thing and I can't remember what the exact context was but the context was that she knew that something really I don't know if she knew what I mean, she's probably too crazy to be able to tell you exactly what, but she knew that something really bad was going to happen to her and she has empathy for her. And I think that since Slayers have visions and, you know, they can kind of see the future in some ways, I think that Drusilla was a potential Slayer. It's not the first time I've said it, and it won't be the last time I've said it. I really believe that she's a potential, which is a big storyline that will be explored much further in season seven of Buffy the whole concept of potentials is like not every woman is a potential slayer but many of them are many of them have something special that means that they could be the next one called Um, and I think Drusilla definitely was a potential which is why she is such a special vampire like I feel like she is what happens when a potential becomes becomes a vampire and I wish that that storyline was explored more somewhere. Like maybe I just need to write that fan fiction. (laughs) Um, Anyway I should not talk about that anymore because that'll be all I talk about because Drusilla is very important to me. Anyway so at first I just kept thinking that Drusilla has the same birthday as Buffy In a couple of my Buffy episode guides, they mentioned that this is, that the party that Drusilla is planning is a party, a coming out party, because she has regained her strength and she's back to full powers and like she's assembling this judge creature. And so like, I guess she's having a party for no reason, but I had thought that it was her birthday, but she never mentions anything about her birthday. So I guess it's not Drusilla's birthday, but it is Buffy's birthday. So they're both planning for a party. Well, Buffy's not planning for a party. Someone's surprising her. And um, some parallels are made with um, boxes as well, because um, Drusilla, she's opening all these different crates to assemble the pieces of this judge creature because he couldn't be killed. His parts just had to be separated and shipped to different parts of the world. So she is receiving these boxes, and she is opening them with glee because she knows what's in them. Whereas, by contrast, when Buffy opens one of these boxes, because she ends up with it at her party, um, because she sees some vampires, like, getting ready to deliver it to Drusilla, and she intercepts them, and she opens a box with one of the judges' parts, she is... um, drawn as a parallel to Pandora because when she opens that box she doesn't know what's in it and I think that's symbolism as well because Drusilla you know obviously has already met the fate that Buffy is meeting right now she can open those and she has been turned like worst possible scenario she is evil she has been driven mad she did not come back from what Angel did to her and she never will so she is able to open boxes she's able to know what's going on and open her boxes with glee because she's evil that's the way that she's learned to cope whereas Buffy you know surprise everything is this is a surprise surprise your boyfriend's evil now surprise your birthday sucks Buffy (laughs) anyway so they made a parallel between Buffy and Pandora in one of the books that I read. I think it was Why Buffy Matters. Um I, my, again, headcanons all over the place when it comes to Drusilla and her motivations. Even though they never state this, I think that Drusilla's having a party to celebrate Buffy's birthday. <laughs> I think she's doing it because she has some kind of connection with Buffy. Maybe because she was a potential slayer. Um... And all Slayers sort of have a connection. They all have the same kinds of prophetic dreams um, and potentials also. That is mentioned in probably not until season seven, but they mentioned that like the potentials are all sort of having the same dreams and Buffy is as well. So they have, I think that they have that connection. So since Buffy. Since Drusilla feels connected to Buffy in some way, again, my head headcanon, but since she feels so connected to Buffy, she's just having a party in Buffy's honor for her birthday. She's assembling the judge um, for Buffy's birthday. That's my, my thought anyway. Um, whenever Buffy and Angel first go to, they go to the warehouse because they're spying on, this is before Angel goes bad. They go to the warehouse to spy on um Drusilla and Spike to see how far they've gotten in the assembly of the judge after um after Buffy has discovered the arm at her party they go to see what's going on over there and um the judge immediately like senses them and looks towards them, so they have well. So this is after, I don't know, the the plot points, like, at this point they have already assembled the judge, so it must have been a couple scenes after the birthday party, because they already have the arm that Buffy was trying to keep away. This is, so this was after, yeah, <laughs> okay. So this is after Buffy and Angel got attacked, and attacked at the docks because Buffy and Angel were saying goodbye to each other because Angel was going to take the arm for like six months or a year and take it to the farest regions of space that he could to, to stop them from assembling the judge and, you know, killing all of humanity. Um, so at this point, the arm has been taken from them and they had to like go home and change or whatever and they've reassembled and then they decided to go spy at the warehouse. Okay, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> So the judge immediately sees them. There's a big confrontation and um, there's a little fight. And when Drusilla sees them, she says, I only dreamed you'd come. So she obviously had a dream about Buffy coming to see her. And I think at this point you've already seen Buffy's second dream where she goes there. So obviously Drusilla had the same dream. so, this makes me think that Drusilla and Buffy are both having these dreams that they're both in. They're having the exact same dreams. Um, anyway, okay, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm now halfway through my first page of notes. I gotta get moving here, okay. Let's see. So, throughout this entire episode, every outfit that, that Drusilla is wearing is amazing. She's wearing, like, blood red silk. And red lace and red velvet. In fact, she's wearing blood red throughout the entire episode, except in the dream sequences. The first dream sequence, she's wearing that black ceremonial dress. And in the second dream sequence, she's wearing the white um, satin nightgown that matches Buffy. Buffy's nightgown. Um... That first dream sequence, one of my first notes was most ASMR dream sequence ever. It really is just the opening of that first episode, Surprise, which was written by Marty Noxon. So second episode written by Marty Noxon. The last one was also written by her, um, which is a pretty big deal that Joss Whedon let her write the first part of a really important two-parter. She will become the showrunner of the series in the last two seasons of Buffy. And she's responsible for most of the emotional turmoil that Buffy causes you. Um, Her and Joss both are like the, like, break-you-apart emotional duo. (laughs) Anyway, let's see, Um, but yeah, that dream sequence is so beautiful. There's the song in the background is called, is it called Inconsolable? Is it that one? I'm gonna go back and look. anything it's called anything and it's um sung by Carrie Howe um and it's I think it's just a really pretty minimal um sort of haunting song um so that's in the first dream sequence there is a German legend Michael pointed it out to me and I also read about it in some of my books um about someone named Faust and it has something to do with I'm not going to look up all the details of it because I don't want to talk about it too much because parallels have been made between this um, German legend and the storyline of Angel losing his soul it was apparently taken from that because um, this particular Faust he lost his soul to the devil or something like that and it kind of parallels Angel's story so there's that little tidbit if you want to look it up um, many, many, many. lots of, lots and lots of Buffy and Angel, kissy kissy, which comes with Marty Noxon. She loves the kissy kissy, but um, it's kind of like, eh, to me. Like, I I really don't like watching Buffy make out with people. Um, and that could be partially my own personal psychological issues, but... I think it's also I don't like the way that she makes out with people (laughs) like she's an extremely great Sarah Michelle Gellar is an awesome actress and I love her in this series as a whole but I don't like watching her make out with people I much prefer watching her be like in turmoil unfortunately which is bad and maybe I'm I'm sadistic I don't know anyway Um, so the first scenes after, so as soon as Buffy wakes up from that first dream, she's super freaked out. She goes to make sure Angel's okay. And that's when, you know, the whole, it's it's the beginning of her day. It's before she goes to school and it's um, the end of his day because he's about to go to bed because it's daylight and he's a vampire. So that's like when I talked about all that transition um, symbolism there earlier. That's this scene, just the second scene right after she wakes up, she just immediately goes to his house and then they make out a whole bunch. And then afterwards you see Buffy having a conversation with Willow and this is just a nice moment whenever we get these little Willow and Buffy friendship moments which happen a lot in the first few seasons um, but where Willow is very in tune with Buffy this entire two-parter like she is very intuitive she's the first one to realize um, through context that um, they slept together later but they're having a conversation right here where Buffy's like it's basically the conversation that you have with your best friend like I think I want to do it for the first time what do you think is it a good idea you know and Willow sort of encourages her to seize the moment to carpe diem because in the very first episode of the entire series Welcome to the Hellmouth Buffy encourages Willow to seize the moment um, with guys when it comes to guys so this is sort of a parallel there that I don't know if they intended to make but they probably did Whereas um, in the very first episode of the series, when Buffy encourages Willow to seize the day, Willow ends up almost getting killed by going out on a, like an ice cream date with a vampire. And in this episode, Willow's sort of encouraging Buffy to seize the day um, and do it with Angel. And of course, that ends up with disastrous consequences. So there's that little um, parallel there. Um, Let's see... Um, Xander's kind of an ass in these episodes. Not a total ass, but kind of an ass. Like, I don't want to talk about it too much, but he does name his asshole character Idiot Jed in this episode. So I might start referring to every time Xander is an ass, I'm going to be like, Idiot Jed strikes again. So just so you know what that means later. Um, He has a conversation with, I mean, this whole two-parter is very much about relationships um right after you see Buffy and Willow talking to do it or not to do it then you see a scene with um Willow and Oz which is one of the cutest scenes ever where he just sort of like um she she initiates by going up to him and starting a conversation with him and he um asks her out on a date and it's just the cutest little exchange because he actually warns her that he's gonna ask her out right before he asks her out which is just the most charming thing ever um and she's like well if it makes you feel any better i'm gonna say yes (laughs) and then he asks her and she's like oh i can't (laughs) and then he says oh well i like that you're unpredictable (laughs) um anyway super cute moment pretty much all these very first scenes between Oz and Willow I just like cry almost every time because they're so sweet and so cute and Oz is the best high school boyfriend you could ever hope to have I can't believe she cheats on him later I mean it's not even that much later they're not even in a relationship yet and he's the best boyfriend ever and she's gonna cheat on him anyway whatever um (laughs) great moment when um Xander calls they're, they're talking about the surprise party that they're planning for Buffy in this first part of the first episode and um Xander goes up to Giles and like asks him if he's ready for the party you funky party weasel or something like that I just love the thought of Giles being a funky party weasel um so that was a fun little moment um it should be pointed out they don't use this term like a lot a lot but um this is nineteen ninety eight and they use the term gypsy" pretty um you know without any guilt around surrounding it because people didn't really talk about gypsy being um sort of a problematic term, which it is um it should whenever you refer to those people <laughs> those people, you should call them Romani Um, because they're from a Romani clan. They were called gypsies at the time because people thought they came from Egypt, but they didn't. Um, So that's just something to point out that the show says gypsy a lot, but it's a word that really shouldn't be used in a woke society, just so you know, in case you didn't know. Um, Just use Romani instead. The Romani people, Romani clans, that kind of thing. So this is where you get... The plot line that I feel like they did not know they were going to do until like the last minute. Like there is absolutely no indication that Jenny is anything other than a techno pagan computer teacher. (laughs) Until this moment where you see her being confronted by her uncle and reminding her that she is Yana from the Calderash clan and she is not Jenny Calendar. And so you're like, what? So, uh... I have a lot of, like, feelings about Robia LaMorte, who plays Jenny Callender. Like, the more times I watch this series, the more I'm just annoyed by her, because I think she's not a very great actress. And I think it's possible that they realized that, and that's why they wrote this storyline in. They were like, okay, maybe she's secretly from this Romani um, tribe that originally cursed Angel. Um, let's say she was. Let's say this leads Angel to kill her in a few episodes. How about that? (laughs) Like, they are just done with her immediately and you get absolutely no lead up to this. Like, she's not playing that element at all because she probably didn't know that they were going to do this to her character. Like, she has literally never even, like, so apparently she was sent by her uncle to sort of the whole reason why she came to Sunnydale was so she could like spy on Buffy and try to keep Buffy and Angel apart because like the whole conceit is that he should suffer forever which is why he was cursed and they're all about vengeance and whatever whatever so she has never like shown a particular interest in keeping them apart or anything like if that was her job she was doing terrible at it So this is where you find out Jenny is not what she seems. Um, One of the first scenes we see with Giles, he's drinking out of a mug that you see Joyce drinking out of the exact same mug in the very last scene in the last episode of this two-parter. So I don't know. What's that symbolism? I don't know. Um, Let's see. Oh, there's a funny quote from, so once they find out that um, Drusilla might be back, um, there's something going on um, because Buffy tells Giles about her first dream of Drusilla killing Angel and so they're like okay well we're going to need to like research Drusilla this could be one of your prophetic dreams Buffy you know whatever so um, Willow and Giles are both sort of make the realization after Buffy walks out of the room that like well I guess we're not going to have the surprise party now since we're going to be in research mode and Giles sort of immediately is like no we're still having a party he's drinking the mug at this point point. and Xander says looks like Mr. Caution Man but the sound he makes is funny <laughs> so that was a good little quote um and then and then Giles makes an important point that like they're probably always going to be in danger people are always going to be trying to kill all of them so they really need to go ahead and still have parties and shit you know that's his exact words, parties and shit. <laughs> anyway, um, so he makes an awesome point that they should still have the party. So the surprise party is still on. Um, okay, when they, um, at the beginning of the surprise party, so Jenny is taking Buffy to the bronze and um, to start the party. And that's when she sees those vampires trying to take that box and she intercepts them and kills vampires. And that's when she has the box and the piece with the judge. And um, so she sort of, like, storms in and, like, kills one or two of the vampires right in front of Oz, who comes to the party as Willow's date. Um, And he just, like, everyone's just sort of whatever, because they've all seen vampires before. And then Oz... was just like, did anybody just see that guy turn to dust? (laughs) And then you realize, oh yeah, Oz doesn't know about this shit yet. And so Xander just sort of says, vampires are real, Willow will fill you in. And um, Oz is just incredibly cool, like he always is. He's just like, actually, that explains a lot. So what I found annoying, just one of those details. So first of all, they're all at the bronze. To celebrate Buffy's birthday, they've planned a surprise party, there's no one there. Like the people that own the establishment just let them rent it out for the night? Okay, I'll buy that, I guess. But they don't even have any music playing. Like nothing. Nothing. It's not even like the music stopped whenever Buffy got there and had to slay some vampires and they turned the music off. There was no music at all whatsoever. It was the lamest surprise party ever anyway let's see um the judge I wrote a note that he was just there to prove Angel's evilness like essentially he is really only there because his whole conceit is that he can burn the humanity out of people just by touching them or zapping him by being in proximity to them whatever um he just burns the humanity out of people which evil creatures can survive because they don't have a lot of humanity but humans can't so he was just there as a plot device because as soon as angel turns um, he touches angel to burn the humanity out of him and it does nothing to him because he's completely evil at this point so it's the only reason why the judge exists really is just that plot point but whatever after the whole i don't know why i wrote that note right there because it's kind of out of context but anyway um, right after Buffy slays that vampire and they talk to um, they sort of explain to Oz what the fuck's going on everybody's just sort of you know being super dramatic and like whatever whatever and Cordelia says is anybody else gonna have cake <laughs> which I love Um, let's see okay so at this point uh, Buffy has been attacked by the arm in the box and they decide that Angel should go to the other ends of the earth and he might be gone for six months or a year um and she's saying goodbye to him at the docks and um he gives her her birthday present which is a clotta ring which like on my favorite buffy podcast other than mine called buffering the vampire slayer they uh, sort of made fun of the clotter ring and how they all used to have one because of this show. And isn't that funny that they used to have one? And I, right at this exact moment, am wearing one on my left ring finger. Um, <laughs> so if you've never seen a clotter ring, just look it up. Um, it is a little. It's like an Irish tradition. It's like a ring that has, it has a heart in the middle, which symbolizes love. The heart has a crown atop it, which symbolizes loyalty. And then there are two little hands framing the heart and crown um, that make up the band um, of the ring. And that symbolizes friendship. The hands symbolize friendship, which is all true, which is what Angel says to Buffy as he's giving it to her. And he tells her that if the ring is pointed if the heart is pointed towards you so the point of the heart pointing towards your like wrist then it means you belong to someone and if it's pointed outwards then it means that you are like single or whatever and he shows her that he has a a ring and he has it pointed towards him so he's saying essentially i belong to you buffy and then he um and then he tells her put it on meaning that he's giving her the choice to put it on. He's just explained to her how the clodder ring works. He's giving it to her as a present. Is she going to put it on with the heart pointing towards her, meaning that she also belongs to him or not? He's given her that choice right there. Um, so they're about to say goodbye. Um, oh, just another little, just to follow through the storyline storyline here. So he has his pointed towards him. Um, she puts hers on, pointed towards her, of course, because she also feels like she belongs to Angel. Whatever, whatever. Um, this is before they do it. Um, later, after Angel has lost his soul, it's just a split second. Like, I really had to pay attention because I was looking for it. Because I wanted to see if he was still wearing the clotter ring after he'd become evil. Because basically even though like he's evil now he's still just as obsessed with Buffy as he was before he lost his soul only that obsession is more about destroying her now whereas before it was about loving her so I just wanted to see if he was still wearing the ring and if so if it was pointed towards him or not in um so you see him like smoking a cigarette which is weird like did we ever see him smoke a cigarette again after this episode I will be paying attention to see if he is, but he like as he's like lifting the cigarette to his face on his right hand, he's wearing the clotter ring and it is pointed out. so he has already like they've already done the symbolism of making sure you know that he no longer belongs to Buffy because he's pointed clottering the opposite direction, which would be uncomfortable because then the crown would be like pointing towards you. I feel like that would be uncomfortable anyway. Um, so he is wearing it, the, I don't belong to anyone direction after he's lost his soul, which I think was a nice little detail that like, not a lot of people would see, but I'm glad that they had that. Like, I don't think, I think there's only that one tiny little moment that he lifts the cigarette to his face and they don't even like focus on it or anything. Like you have to be paying attention. So I like that little moment. Um... So um, Buffy is pointing out something, like she's pretty mature, you know, to to think about this. Like she's saying goodbye to him at the docks and she's really like, she doesn't want him to go because he's going to be gone for like six months or a year. She's basically feels like she's saying goodbye to him forever right now because she doesn't know if either of them will still be alive. Slayers have pretty, you know, like they have an expiration date because people want them dead. And she says to Angel, like, seriously, someone pretty much always wants us dead like and Angel's given her a lot of empty platitudes like I'll be fine don't worry you know like and she is like what are you fucking talking about somebody always wants us dead one of us might not be here in six months and um he's like well I mean you can't you can't know anything and you can't be sure of anything and then the they get intercepted by one of Drusilla's vampires stealing back the arm that he's about to try to take away um which if he had left immediately you know like <laughs> without that big dramatic scene then that wouldn't happen anyway so at that point um they jump into the water or Buffy gets pushed into the water or something so they're at the docks and they end up this is the first time they get like completely wet isn't it yeah um and that's not when they do it though no because they dry off first that's when they go to the warehouse they get confronted by the judge but they get out they run away they go through the sewers and then they go back to his place and that's when they do it okay anyway um oh god Xander has this terrible speech which I need to write down in the Xander transgressions list I don't think I've done that yet so right before Buffy has met back up with everybody um after getting into dry clothes after jumping into the water at the docks he's like going off on this weird monologue before buffy has walked into the library where like (sighs) like they're talking about like oh that's so sad that angel's going to be leaving for a long time and and xander of course is not sad about it at all And he just goes on this stupid ass speech where he has this fantasy that, like, later, whenever Buffy and Angel have been together a long time, like, Angel has a blood belly. (laughs) The, like, Buffy's working at Denny's. They, like, the passion has gone out of their relationship, and Xander swoops in and takes her out for prime rib, and she cries, and he says it with such glee. Like, did I tell you about my fantasy when she cries? And it's just gross. It's just gross. Idiot Jed strikes again. Um, also, earlier, I forgot to mention this, but when it's, when he sees Buffy at the beginning of this day, the day that it's her birthday, he, um... Asks if she's ready for her pre birthday spanking. So maybe it's the day before her birthday at this point. Whatever. Anyway, like seriously, but I can forgive that because like dudes in high school are going to tease about spanking you. I mean, maybe they shouldn't. Maybe that will change in our like more woke society, but. Back in high school, I can tell you that almost every single one of my guy friends made a joke about spanking me at one point. You know, and like Buffy just sort of rolls her eyes and doesn't even like acknowledge that he said it, which is perfect. Um idiot Jed. Anyway. Oh, I just had to write, "Where did Spike get that fancy wheelchair?" Like seriously, it's not like some old-fashioned like barely held together wheelchair that you would think that Spike would find needing a wheelchair right now because he's very injured. Um, He has like a fancy like shiny brand new looking like red and black wheelchair. It's very weird. Um, So I think it's interesting and I'd like to to I'd like to read more about like if anyone has like theories on this but like when you're first introduced to Spike and Drusilla, Drusilla is weak And then as soon as she regains her strength, Spike is in a wheelchair. And he's in a wheelchair up until the last episode or two of this season. So he's going to be in a wheelchair for about 10 episodes, I think. Or close to it. Um, So it takes him a while to recover. So, like, what is up with that? Like, why does their relationship, why do they feel like Spike and Drusilla's relationship needs to be conveyed with an imbalance of power between them? So I don't know, just something that is interesting to me. And I'd like to know more about it. If there's actually anything to like the symbolism of that, like throughout this episode, they keep calling, um, they don't know yet that Spike is still alive. So they keep calling all of, um, when they see Drusilla's like lackey vampires, like stealing pieces of the judge or doing shit for her or whatever. Um, they keep calling, them Drusilla's vampires whereas before they would have been more focused on calling them Spike's vampires or Spike and Drew's vampires but now they're like they really made an emphasis on the power of Drusilla back in the episode when she first what regained her strength and they're still doing that like it's the emphasis of like who's the most powerful among them is definitely on Drusilla now for sure um let's see the first person that the judge kills is um, their, like, sort of nerdy vampire lackey that they have that wears glasses, um, and and he said, this one is full of feeling. He reads. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the end of my notes for the, for surprise. Um, Now we go to, I guess I didn't write, I didn't write any notes at all about like them actually getting ready to do it. But basically it's a moment, as soon as they've escaped through the sewers, they get back to Angel's house. And it's actually, um, what was pointed out in one of my, um, one of my episode guides, it was pointed out that this scene of them going back to Angel's house is a parallel, is a mirror of the scene, um, that happened in the episode where Buffy and Angel first kiss. So back in the episode Angel, where when we first find out that Angel's a vampire, um, he is wounded and they run away to escape. They run away together to escape the master. And he is, I don't know, he's got some kind of cut or something. And so she like has him, she takes him back to her house. She has him take off his shirt. She tends to his wounds and she keeps him there to, to like protect him. And then they kiss and he loses, he in a moment of, you know, the kiss is passion or whatever, he loses control and he goes into vamp face. Um, and by loss of control, I just mean that he goes into vamp face, like he doesn't do anything to hurt her, but she doesn't know he's a vampire until that moment after they've kissed. And she freaks out. So this is a mirror of that because, and not something that I thought of until I read it in the book, but it probably was intentional. Um, at this point, they're escaping, um, the judge they go back to his place and um she has like a cut on her back and he like encourages her to let him tend to it so and then they do it right afterwards (laughs) so and that's when he loses control loses his soul and becomes angelus which I would like to point out, even though all the books are like, and then he becomes Angelus, then he becomes Angelus. He's not been referred to as Angelus yet on the show. Like, it's common that when talking about Buffy, when talking about him going evil, U and the S is added to the end of his name for whatever reason. But that has not actually been said in the show yet. So anyway, the context of the very end of the first part of this two-parter surprise is that they have run back to his house. They're soaking wet because when they emerge from the sewers, it was pouring rain outside. Um, She's really cold and he's like giving her some clothing and he's like, here, put these on and get under the covers just to get warm. (laughs) And um, so he's like tending to her wound or whatever. And then she says to him, um, like, you're right. We can't be sure of anything you know, you almost went away today. And so like, you know, super emotional moment. I totally get why this is the point where she feels like it's the right moment. And she tells him basically, shut up and kiss me. And, you know, it's very much like, it's very like, I feel like it's important to note that it's all completely like he's not pushing her at all whatsoever. Like he's like, well, maybe we shouldn't. And she's like, well, we can't be sure of anything. Like, we might die at any moment. Like, we need to seize this moment. And um, so I think it's totally justified that this is the moment. And you don't see anything. You just see her, like, pushing him down on the bed and kissing him. And then the next scene, right as the episode ends, is, um, like, a crack of thunder. It's still raining outside. Um it's obviously like hours later and Angel wakes up and he's like freaking out and somehow he still puts on clothes and goes outside to freak out and scream into the rain Buffy and something's obviously going on with him what's wrong with Angel to be continued so um luckily Viewers at the time did not have to wait a whole week to see the conclusion of this situation. They only had to wait until the next day because the show was transitioning from Monday nights to Tuesday nights. And this was their first um, time on a Tuesday night was when part two, Innocence, aired. So Innocence opens with Spike and Drusilla are talking right after, you know, later in the evening. It's like the same moment that Angel is losing his soul. They're talking about... Spike wants to to get out. He wants to leave. He's like, uh, Buffy and Angel know where we are. They know we've assembled the judge. I think we need to get the fuck out of town. Like he's being cautious, (laughs) which is interesting. Um, probably because he's wounded. So he's being more cautious than usual. And you see, um, Drusilla just start, she's like staring off into the distance and then she sort of like collapses onto the floor, and you can tell that she knows what's just happened to Angel. So, um, she's so cool. She's so cool. If she hadn't been crazy, she or and or a vampire, she could have been so powerful, you know? <laughs> Maybe she was gonna be the slayer, anyway. Um, then at one point. Drusilla and Spike this is one of my favorite scenes with Drusilla she's laying on like a pool table or something or maybe just maybe it's not a pool table she's laying on some table and she says I'm naming all the stars and (laughs) sorry my accent is terrible and Spike says like that's the it's day and that's the ceiling and she says well I can see them but I've named them all the same name, and there's terrible confusion. <laughs> I love that moment. Um, let's see. Angel goes to see Spike and Drusilla, um, and he's just immediately different, which is pretty um, happily surprising, I guess, for David Boreanaz, who plays Angel, like he was a am- made able to immediately flip that switch all we've seen him as so far is a good guy that's broody and loves buffy and immediately he's completely different and just in case you need to know that he's completely different he goes to see drew and spike the judge touches him to like burn the humanity out of him and it does nothing to him because he has no humanity so that's why the judge is there (laughs) it's the whole reason for him um later on in the evening so Buffy basically wakes up to him not being there and so she's worried of course and um later that night um so she spends the whole day not knowing where he is I guess and later she's talking to Willow on the phone like have you seen him has he checked in with you blah 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 and um Xander in the background's like say hi for me like (laughs) really idiot Jed like, say hi for me. You're having, like, this dramatic discussion of, and your friend is in pain and, like, all she, all he can hear is Willow's side of the conversation, but it's obvious that your friend is in pain and you want to say hi for me? Like, God, idiot Jed. Okay. Um, okay. And then when Buffy is finally confronted with something is wrong with Angel... It's the first time she sees him after they do it. She goes back. It's at the end of the evening, the following day. She tries, she goes home for like a second. And then she just turns around. Like she doesn't want to go home right now. And she goes to angels. So back to the scene where it happened, you know, and um, to look for him. And at first she thinks he's not there. Um, Then he walks up and he's like, you know, putting... He's changing clothes so he's topless angel topless take a shot um and it's the scene this is where like where the metaphor becomes real you know the subtext rapidly becoming text like this is where he says some really awful things to buffy like you have a lot to learn about men kiddo or like you think i was gonna stick around after that let's not make a big deal out of it it happened okay like oh And then he, like, tries to, like, touch her on the cheek after saying all this evil shit. And he's saying something patronizing to her as he, um, I don't remember which patronizing thing he was saying at the moment that he tries to touch her cheek, but she just immediately backs up from him and she's like, don't touch me. So to Buffy's credit, like, heartbreaking moment but she immediately is like, don't touch me. Get away from me. Like, she does say, I love you. And... (laughs) though like she has a little moment like after she says don't touch me and he starts to walk out the door um she says but i love you and she's crying and he's like love you too and like gives her like a finger gun and says i'll call you and it's like obviously the whole metaphor here is the dude that as soon as you give it up to him he doesn't care about you anymore he's done with you he he won't call you all that shit apparently that's what the whole conceit of this entire metaphor is but um yeah i don't i don't know what else to say about that i mean that's the obvious thing right there is that that's the story that they wanted to write here was the dude that doesn't call afterwards you know um and how dark that is in buffy's world that's i mean as dark as it gets you know so this scene is extremely upsetting because angel's being awful and what i would like to point out to you i think i mentioned it before but when i was reading that um that book i can't remember what it's called because i was calling it the wrong thing when i was talking about it the first time anyway whatever i was reading this like behind the scenes buffy and angel book and the they were interviewing all the different like the actors and the writers and people on the production team all that shit throughout the book and it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff and one of the things that um, I found most interesting in that book was David Boreanaz talking about that scene in particular it was the first time in his acting career like he was a pretty young actor at this point like somebody literally just like discovered him walking his dog and he did like one thing before Buffy I think um but this is like one possibly the it was the first time in his career that he had to be that awful and he hated it and he and Sarah are friends of course um and he said in between takes he really like you know would he would hug Sarah and say this isn't me this is just my character are you okay you know and hugged her and just like and he said that that was The moment that he learned that that was a really important thing to do anytime as an actor you have to be terrible to another actor you you have to make sure to hug them in between takes and like make sure they're okay and like make sure they know that this isn't you and I thought that was really sweet and it kind of took the edge off of watching the scene because usually the scene upsets me a lot um but it kind of took the edge off this time knowing that like you know in between scenes he's like (laughs) saying sweet things to Sarah so I thought that was I thought it was good because it made this a little less upsetting to me um so then there's a scene where Jenny's talking to her uncle again and this is where you find out this whole soul loss thing so I don't think I've really explained it yet so in case you don't know okay here's the thing apparently the Romani curse on Angel so he killed someone from this Calderash clan you know like 150 years ago or something 100ish years ago and um hit their her entire clan um just got back at him by putting this curse on him which was a curse to re um rehome his soul essentially in in buffy whenever you become a vampire your soul is lost to like the ether or the afterlife or whatever but um it apparently can be called back if you need it. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and so they've given him, he's been re So he is the vampire with a soul, um, which is why he's good. Why he's the only vampire that's good. Um, and apparently there was an orgasm clause set within his curse, which nobody knew about. Angel didn't know about it. Buffy didn't know. Um, Jenny apparently didn't know until this moment that her uncle's telling her that if he has one moment of happiness then his soul is lost again which I think is really stupid like who fucking how is this like so the, the intention of giving him his soul back was so he would suffer for all of the terrible things that he has done to and he does he's broody this is the reason why he's broody like The curse has done its job. But why would you put a clause in it wherein if he has one single moment of pure happiness, then he loses the soul again? Because then he just becomes the evil that he was before and becomes a threat to everyone. And like, why is that set up that way? That makes no sense. But anyway, that's the sitch. Jenny says to him, Uncle, this is insanity. Finally, Ginny's making sense for once and she sort of storms out because um, that's the first time she's hearing of, like, what the fuck is going on. Um, which I feel like it's important to point out that even though what it seems like is that if he has an orgasm, like, true love's orgasm, then he loses his soul, which is kind of the way that they've portrayed it. But I think Joss says in the commentary that it's not when they have sex it's not when they have an orgasm he loses his soul when he afterwards like they're laying in bed together they've just had sex he has fallen asleep or whatever in those moments afterwards he achieved pure happiness and contentment Um, and that can only happen with buffy as we'll see later in the show of angel he has sex with people sometimes like, it's not like he can't ever have sex, but if it's, like, sex with Buffy, then it's pure happiness. Because, obviously, sex with Buffy would be perfect happiness, right? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, okay. To Jenny's credit, immediately after having this conversation with her uncle, she goes back to the school to, like, I don't know if her intention is to tell them what's going on or just to make sure she can be there to help. Um, but she immediately goes back and tries to help, um, goes to the school and with where everybody is and tries to help them, um, to her credit. Um, and at this point, whenever, once Jenny gets back to the school, Angel has also arrived and, um, he is calling Willow to him. And at this point, you know, they don't know he's evil. He's just had that conversation with Buffy. Buffy hasn't met back up with them yet, um, at the school, she's ostensibly on her way I guess she stopped by um she stopped by Angel's first and that's when she had that conversation and then Angel immediately went to the school and his intention is to kill to start killing off all of her friends and you know torture her the way that she the way that he tortured Drusilla back in the day so he's just shown up um Jenny tells Willow to stop and come to her she's holding a cross so she immediately um you know protects willow despite the fact that they'll probably find out soon what the fuck is going on with her so to her credit um let's see and then angel shows up right or buffy shows up right after and um xander does a little heroic move where he grabs the cross from jenny and walks up because at this point um so he's got angel's got willow like in his arms about to kill her and um he turns around when buffy shows up and he's facing her and as that's happening they're all in the hallway together at the school um xander grabs the cross from jenny and like sneaks up behind angel as he's facing buffy the opposite direction and like he like puts the cross in his face and so he hisses cuz you know he's a vampire and he he like catches Willow as Angel is like dropping her. So nice little heroic moment from Angel from Xander. So that um, counteracts some of the idiot Jedness in these last two episodes, but not all of it. Um. Oh, I forgot. I totally forgot the whole thing in between Xander and Willow. So at this point, Willow has caught. Xander and Cordelia making out in the stacks cuz they're all gathered together trying to research how they're going to defeat this judge guy. And so she sees them, she like gets really upset and like confronts him like you'd rather be with someone you hate than me and she's very heartbroken. Um understandably, but like Cordelia gets a little bit too much flack at this point, but she was awful. Like, if you think back to the first episode, how terrible she was to Willow, like, it's important to remember that in this moment that she's, like, confronting Xander about, like, you know, you were part of the, (laughs) we were in the I hate Cordelia club of which you were the treasurer, you know, like, so she's super hurt. And right before Angel shows up, she is telling Xander, like, look, I'm mad at you. You're not okay. We're not okay. But like, we need to get beyond this right now so that we can deal with this judge situation because what we're going through right now is bigger than that. But I just want you to know that we're not okay. So, um, so that happens right before Angel shows up. Um, and then he saves her life. So probably they're okay now, right? Um, so in the scene afterwards, they basically... Angel scares, or Xander scares Angel off with the cross. He just runs out, whatever. So they're all back in the library together. And um, they're like, what What the fuck are we going to do? Buffy's catatonic. She's like sitting in a chair, staring at her clotter ring, just like despondent, you know, um, of course. And um, they're like, what? Do, everybody's looking at Giles. What are we going to do? And he says, I'm leaning, leaning towards blind panic. And Jenny says, don't talk like that. The kids. <laughs> Which I think is funny because she's like the same age, maybe even younger. Um, Robia Lamorte or Lamort, however you pronounce it, who plays Jenny Callender is the same age as um, Charisma Carpenter who plays Cordelia. They're like both 27 or something at this point. Anyway, um, so they're all like, what are we going to do? And then Giles starts getting like up in Buffy's face, kind of like not meaning to obviously he's like so what happened so they all they're all in agreement that like Angel's lost his soul everything's bad what are we gonna do and um Giles is like well did anything happen last night like you were with him like what I wish we knew what happened to cause this and this is the first moment that Buffy kind of puts it together she's like oh shit I caused this and she's so upset and so despondent that she just sort of gets upset and she's like I don't I can't and then she runs out and goes home so um, that is the moment that Willow catches on to what's going on and like Giles is like yelling after her as she's trying to leave the room and um, Willow just says Giles shut up and that's when you know that Willow knows so that's a good moment of Willow just being you know intuitive to her friends needs and everything she hasn't told anyone what's happened at this point it's like 24 hours later at this point okay I'm gonna lose my voice soon I've been talking about this so much I still have like three pages of notes left okay so I need to like go a little faster I'm sorry you guys I hope this isn't super boring to you um let's see and then at this point Angel has gone back to Spike and Drusilla and Spike's like well why didn't you kill her and Angel's like dude I got a thing here (laughs) and Drusilla says something to the effect of You want to, you don't want to kill her yet. You want to do to her what you did to me. And she sort of acts like she feels delighted about that. Which is interesting because she tortured him a few episodes ago because of all of the things that he did to her. But I think this is not really inconsistent with Drusilla's character because she's nuts. Like sometimes she takes delight in her nutsiness and sometimes she feels the pain from her nutsiness (laughs) So I don't think that's inconsistent with her character. So whatever. So she seems delighted by the fact that Angel is going to torture Buffy. Um, Let's see. What else we got here? Oh, she says, um, Angel says to Spike um, when he's like, why haven't you killed her yet? He's like, she's stronger than any slayer you've ever faced. Force won't cut it. To kill this girl, you have to love her. So... You can already see that he's planning to just be a real dick for the rest of the season. And we're going to see that. Um, Then Buffy has that dream where Angel says, you have to know what to see. And Ginny pulls the veil off her face. Buffy immediately, like, wakes up, gets dressed, goes to school. And, like, apparently Ginny's already in the middle of class, which I don't like. Is Buffy going to school late. I don't know cuz she like storms into school and she walks straight up to Jenny and like puts her in a chokehold. I think maybe class hasn't started yet because Giles is there talking to Jenny and like there's a lot of people in the halls and stuff. So maybe it's just like right before class starts. Yeah, that would make sense. That makes sense. Okay. Totally makes sense. Okay. Just talk myself out of that weirdness. And so she's like puts her in a chokehold and she's like what do you know? And to Jenny's credit again, she does not try to deny it not even for a second like Giles is like okay everybody leave Buffy what the fuck's going on um, so she, they like clear the classroom and um, Jenny says I didn't know what would happen but apparently he's lost his soul if he experiences a moment of happiness blah 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 so this is where you know you, you find out Jenny's. you everybody finds out Jenny is not what you thought she was She's Yana, not Jenny. And um So she immediately fesses up to everything. Buffy's super pissed at her. And she says, So I did it then. It was my fault. And Jenny says, I think so. And um because Jenny sort of caught on to like what happened to cause him to lose his soul at the same time that Willow did. Um but Giles is oblivious until this moment and you see him like what do you mean what you did how could you have and then he gets it and he takes his glasses off and he just sort of steps back and he's just kind of staring at them while they have the rest of the conversation um and he wasn't cleaning his glasses but he was cleaning them in his mind you know what I'm saying (laughs) um let's see um okay um Xander has this plan that he he evidently this is the first indication that we know that he remembers like the army training that he had as part of his Halloween costume like this is the first time that comes into play and it will again that he remembers things about the army and he knows things and so he has a plan to go to like The army supply place? uh, The place where they store stuff for the army? I don't know, whatever. And take Cordelia with him and, like, get a rocket launcher. So um, that's his idea to take care of the judge. Because the whole thing about the judge is, like, an army couldn't... An army went up against him and it didn't work. No weapon forged can kill him. Whatever, whatever. So... He's like, well, what about a rocket launcher? A rocket launcher could kill him. So he goes to get the rocket launcher with Cordelia, which is a whole thing. And um, Oz, they need like a big vehicle to put the rocket launcher in. So Oz has a van. So Willow gets him. And um, then while they're in the car, we have another really touching scene between Oz and Willow. Where, um, it's like every single moment in these two episodes needs to be talked about. Like, by the time I get done talking about it, I will have talked about it as long as the episodes existed. (laughs) Anyway, so Willow's like, I wish they wouldn't take so long or whatever. And then she asks if Oz wants to make out with her. Just sort of out of the blue. And like, Oz is sort of like, what? And, you know, obviously they've only been on like one date, which was Buffy's surprise party, which was very weird. And then there's this moment that they're together in the van waiting for Cordelia and Xander and Oz is so perceptive and he just like immediately his response to her asking him if they want to make out is so good he's like um it would appear that you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous or even the score or something to to the casual observer and like um I'm not gonna kiss you like, and he just says this, like, sometimes when he's in class, he thinks about them kissing and it's just like, everything stops. Willow kissage and, but in my fantasy, when I'm kissing you, you're kissing me. And then he says, it's okay, I can wait. And it's just, and then Willow's looking at him like, for the first time, like she's looking at him like, oh, I really do like you. And again, it's like, why does Willow get the most perfect boyfriend in the world? No one got this boyfriend in high school. Everybody in high school gets asshole boyfriends. Like, that's the rite of passage. You don't get a good boyfriend when you're in high school. God damn it, Willow. God damn it. Um, anyway, <laughs> I love Oz so much. And we're, the next episode, next week, we're going to get to talk a lot about Oz. So, yeah. Um, Okay. Oz is there like pretty much right after the scene after they get the rocket launcher he's still there and he goes with them to the mall because that's where they decide the judge is going to show up because he can kill a lot of people there and the bronze is closed tonight whatever (laughs) bronze is closed two nights in a row apparently because they're closed for Buffy's birthday and closed tonight the night after um so they go to the mall and they wait for the judge and um Oz is there. He's just there. Like, immediately he's into it. He's like, whatever. I know that vampires are real now. I'm in the fight. I love how it's just like, you know, it took so long for Cordelia to, like, become a part of the group. But as soon as Oz learns about vampires, he's there. Done. Um, so he's he's in. He goes with them. He helps. So the fight is pretty short. Like, basically, Buffy just sort of, like, shoots the judge with an arrow and then just to get his attention because he's starting to zap people and it makes him stop and then look at her and then she hits him with the rocket launcher and it's this nice slow motion moment of like um Drusilla and Angel are flanking the judge. Spike is not there because he had to stay behind because he's in a wheelchair right now I guess so he didn't get to go to the mall. (laughs) Oh Spike didn't get to go to the mall! so they look at each other um Drusilla and Angel and they realize oh fuck Buffy's about to kill the judge this guy that they fought for just to in the world or whatever and they just realize oh he's fucked and they immediately jump off this big landing that he's on um so that they aren't part of the blast and I swear Buffy waits she waits she gives angel Andrew drusilla like a head star of jumping off the platform while the judge is sort of sort of staring at her with his head cocked, like what's that and then he gets blown to bits which is unfortunate because the judge was a fun character um, the guy that plays him was the same guy that played luke in the first episode so another parallel to the first the first two-parter which is this is possibly the, the only the second two-parter in the series is that true no this is the third because there was what's my line too anyway so oh I forgot about this scene before they go to the mall whenever a- or Xander first presents Buffy with the box that has the rocket launcher in it and she opens it as if it's a present and she knows what it is so at this point like that little opening of the box knowing what's in it so she's not Pandora anymore Um, I think is what you're there's a lot of opening of boxes going on Um, which is box vagina are we we that literal Joss Whedon probably Um, anyway so she is like best present ever whatever Um, Jenny shows up kind of in the background and asks if she could do anything to help and this is the evening after the big confrontation with Jenny of course and um, Buffy just says get out And she's like, well, I I just really want to help, blah, blah, blah. And Giles is standing right next to Buffy and he just immediately backs her up. He's like, she said, get out. So awesome moment from Giles, like immediately having Buffy's back with the whole Jenny situation. Like, okay, we're mad at her. Okay. If you say we're mad at her, we're mad at her. Like, I feel like he could have forgiven her if it was just up to him, but... He totally has Buffy's back and Giles is the best. Uh, He's my favorite and I love him so much. Um, Let's see. Then there's the getting wet scene number three. So the first time they all, Buffy and Angel, got wet together (laughs) (laughs) was when they fell in the water. The second time was when they emerged from the sewers and got rained on and then they went home and did it. And then the, this is the third time this is the very end of the second part innocence of this two parter they um the sprinklers get turned on after Buffy blows up the judge with the rocket launcher because the little, the pieces of them are on fire, so the sprinkler system goes on in the mall and they have a little fight scene down a hallway or something um they might just be in a movie theater. I mean, it looks like a mall. It looks like a movie theater inside a mall because she's standing on top of a on top of like a concession thing with popcorn and shit. Whenever she shoots them with the rocket launcher, anyway, not important. So they're they're in like a hallway, like the entrance to the the movie theater, the actual rooms. Whatever. What do you what? Anyway, and they're fighting. The sprinklers are going off. They're super wet, and um, she pulls out a steak at one point, like she's ready to kill him. And then she can't do it because, you know, emotions. And he's like, you can't, you can't kill me. And she just says, she kicks him in the balls real, real hard. And then she says, give me time. And then she turns around and walks out. So it's a good moment. And I understand why she didn't kill him yet. Although if she had, she would have prevented a lot of fucking nightmares that are about to happen. So that's when we get to giles is driving buffy home presumably right after this happens he's driving her home there's he's stopped right in front of they're in the car together he stopped right in front of her house she's about to get out of the car and she um she's you know despondent still of course and she knows that giles knows why angel is evil now and giles just sort of says you know i'm sure you know but but this is going to get really bad. Like he's basically telling everyone, telling the viewers, everyone, things are about to go down. Giles is letting you know. And um, Buffy looks at him and says, you must be so disappointed in me. And she's basically crying. I think it's kind of pre-cry, like she's not full on crying yet. Um, I think a couple tears fall down her face during this conversation. And I'm just going to read to you word for word this entire Buffy Giles conversation because it's one of the best that has ever existed between Buffy and Giles. You must be so disappointed in me. Giles, no. No, I'm not. Like he immediately says, no. No, I'm not. Do you want me to... What does he say? Do you want me... No, he doesn't say that yet. She says, this is all my fault. And he says, I don't believe it is. Do you want me to wag my finger at you and tell you that you acted rashly? You did. And I can. I know that you loved him. And he has proven more than once that he loved you. You couldn't have known what would happen. The coming months are going to be hard, I suspect, on all of us. There it is. The coming months are going to be hard on all of us. Are you ready? Um, But if it's guilt you're looking for, Buffy, I'm not your man. All you will get from me is my support and my respect. And that is where the tears start falling down your face because... I can't tell you, like, how how many women have wanted just one father figure in their life to tell them, all you will get from me is my support and my respect. That is just, that is a million times more meaningful than, like, somebody telling you they love you. Support and respect. Damn. Um... It was written in um, my favorite Buffy episode guide book called Bite Me by Nikki Stafford. It was written, um, the only thing that could have made this scene better was if they hugged. Like, she just wished they would have hugged. And I thought the same thing watching it. Like, you, you just see, like, Buffy sort of crying and realizing that, you know, Giles has her back. Giles totally has her back. Like, awesome moment. Like, they totally could have hugged there, but um, that's okay. They didn't. That's all right. They might have, because it cuts off after that. So maybe they did hug. Let's just decide that they did. Um, You don't see a whole lot of hugs between Buffy and Giles, which is probably intentional, because they didn't want you to ever think that, like, Giles would ever be inappropriate with her or anything like that. You didn't want to get that dynamic at all with them, and you never did. So that's probably good that like really the the hugs between Buffy and Giles there's one in a few episodes when Buffy sort of has to save Giles from being totally self-destructive and she basically tells him that she can't live without him that she can't do this without him and she hugs him in that moment just to kind of pull him off the ledge um But other than that, the only hugs I can think of between Giles and Buffy happen once she's an adult and she's out of high school and it's just like, he comes back into town or something and she hugs him or whatever. So um, I think that's probably intentional. Okay, so then we get to the very last scene of the two-parter and this is when um, Buffy and Joyce are hanging out on the couch watching a movie together and Joyce is like, hey, how was your birthday? Because she's totally oblivious and she wasn't fucking there and Buffy is obviously very upset and um even though I'm mad at Joyce for just like not I mean she's just not available really (laughs) which I think is just because the actress that plays her didn't live nearby so she just only came in for like little episode arcs like they only had her for short periods of time whatever whatever but um I still just you know The lack of mom presence is really evident a lot of the time with Joyce. And sometimes I just don't think she's that good of a mom, okay? So she gives Buffy like a store-bought fucking cupcake because she didn't have time to make a cake and asks her, hey, how was your birthday? Did you have fun? And Buffy is very upset and Joyce, to her credit, she sees how upset Buffy is, but she doesn't ask her what's wrong. And um, Buffy just says, just let it burn after her mom asks her if she's going to blow out the candle on the cupcake. And then the episode just ends with um, her, with Buffy just like leaning on her mom's shoulder and her mom stroking her hair and they're watching a movie together and whatever. So that's the end of the episode. Like I said, they're both wearing white. Important to note. And then we get into um, some more notes. <laughs> so when I was reading my um, Why Buffy Matters book had an entire chapter on this two-parter. So some of my notes from that um, is that Joss Whedon, his favorite episode is Innocence. So the second part here, his very favorite episode of all time, also written and directed by him, but it's his favorite episode. And he wanted to point out that, you know, them wearing white at the end was part of it. Like that, the reason why this second part of this losing your virginity horror fest episode arc is called Innocence is because innocence is only fully realized after it is lost well actually I don't think that was a quote from Joss Whedon that was just a quote from the book um, but I think that probably is true the very first thing said in the entire two-parter as I said before is do you really think you're ready Buffy um, and then it which was from Joyce to Buffy, and then the very last thing that was said in this two-parter was from Buffy to Joyce, and she was saying, "Let it burn." Um, which was theorized in one of the one of my Buffy books that it was that there's a lot of symbolism as far as passage of time through these two episodes. So I didn't mention any of that, but um, there were some different things here and there talking about the passage of time, and they thought that. Um, and Buffy saying, give me time to Angel in one of the last scenes. So the whole, just let it burn, they thought was symbolic for her needing time to be ready to kill him and realizing that her feelings for him are still going to exist. They're still going to burn, um, whatever, whatever. So... Don't want to go down that rabbit hole since I need to wrap this up. It's already been an hour and 36 minutes when I joked earlier that this is going to be an hour and a half long. It's obviously going to be almost two hours. Okay. Do you really think you're ready, Buffy? Okay. In, um, oh yeah, I already told you that Drew sort of, she saw this coming. Like, to what extent, we don't know. Because she's crazy and she doesn't communicate well. So, whatever. Um okay I already said that I already said that I already said that so a lot of the notes that I made at the end here I've just kind of remembered and said without having to read them awesome Buffy slash Pandora parallel I already said that I already said that okay so I guess we're ready then for my ratings of the episode um or I'm Putting them together as if it's one episode. Uh, I think that makes sense for this particular arc. Um, my object of the episode that was hard for me because there was there were a lot of really great outfits in these two episodes. Um, Buffy had this is pretty much her best pants combination ever. So in the very beginning, she was wearing green velvet pants. So on her birthday, she was wearing green velvet pants then um after she changes after they get all wet (laughs) she's wearing giraffe pants and it's kind of abstract giraffe like it reads giraffe but when you see it up close it's not literal giraffe print it's like abstract shapes that look like a giraffe print so that's not the it's not the last the first or last time we see those giraffe pants I don't think it's possibly the first time but I don't think it's the last so um I might have picked the giraffe pants as my object of affection for the episode if I wasn't pretty sure we're going to see them again. And then later, the very last pair of pants that she's wearing, she's wearing like these really dark brown pants that, they might be black, that have like these funky like tie dye shapes on them or something. I don't know. It was hard to tell what it was, but they were also really good pants. Um, She also wears her like springy metal bracelets. In this episode, which that was a thing in the 90s. I think I used to have them, where it's like it's like a whole jumble of a whole bunch of tiny little like metal bracelets that are like little springs. Do you remember those? Like if you ever see those, I need to know how to get them because I want them. But I'm pretty sure that's not the first or last time we've seen those might be the first, but won't be the last time we see those bracelets so I'm gonna hold off on that because I think my object of affection is the green velvet pants that she wears um, on her birthday I think it was on her birthday proper because they were great, those pants oh my god, supreme um the outfit of the episode, that was hard too because basically everything that Buffy wore in this episode and everything that Drusilla wore in this episode could have been my outfit everything, like the Almost everything. I didn't really like the satin pajama set the Buffy wore in the first dream. But um, the satin nightgown was pretty hot. Um, the red satin dress that Drusilla wore to her party was pretty awesome. Um, but I'm going to give it to Drusilla for one of her other outfits. Which we might even see again too. But um, I'm giving her outfit of the episode for when she was wearing... Um, It was like a dark red velvet skirt with a red lace sort of bodice top. Like it wasn't like literally a corset, but it might have had some boning in it. It was a more structured looking top and it was red lace. And it was just like when you think of Drusilla, I feel like you think of that outfit. So um, and she also wears some I don't know if she's wearing a scarf in with that outfit but she wears some like long flowing red scarves in this episode too those are pretty great Um, you can really tell that um, Juliet Landau that plays Drusilla is a dancer she's very muscular and just the way that she moves is very graceful and um, she's a great actress anyway I love Drusilla you guys know that so you would think that my most valuable player of the episode would be Drusilla it almost was but I decided that since she got to be most valuable player in the lie to me episode that was a lot Um, that that episode was really featuring Drusilla or was it lie to me? Maybe it wasn't lie to me. It was whichever one that she restored was restored to her full health. She got to be most valuable player of that episode. So this episode, I'm giving it to Giles. Um, I think Oz gets an honorable mention because he's awesome. But I got to give it to Giles because he supports Buffy. He respects Buffy. He immediately backs her up whenever he needs to. And he didn't, as most father figures would, Most father figures would be weird and possessive and stupid finding out that you, as a teenage girl, have, quote unquote, lost your virginity. But as soon as he finds out, he reassures her that, you know, she can make her own choices and she's not terrible for making them, even if he thinks that it wasn't the right idea. Because having sex with a vampire is never a good idea I don't care if he has a fucking soul it's not a good idea okay just don't, just say no to having sex with a vampire unless you are also a vampire okay can we just, yeah my favorite quote of the episode this was hard because there was a lot of good um, Xander had a lot of like silly little quotes and um, funky party weasel if that was a quote, I mean that was that's more of a title though, funky party weasel Giles (laughs) But, um, I am giving the quote to Drusilla because I feel like this quote is the one that's most memorable. It's the one that I think of most often, which is her quote that she's naming all the stars and, um, but she's named them all the same name and it's caused terrible confusion. Um, and there's terrible confusion. Sorry. I'm sorry I keep bringing out my Drusilla accent because it sounds nothing like Drusilla. So I should really not even try, but I can't help it. So there are my ratings all except for my 5 by 5 ratings. So let's get into it so we can end this podcast. <laughs> I hope you guys found some of this interesting. Um, if you would like to let me know whether or not you found this interesting, email me. Email me. Mixtressradio at gmail. M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S, radio spelled the normal way, at gmail. Okay, um, also an announcement For any of you that also listen to my radio show, I have changed the time. It is now going to air still on Fridays, still a three-hour show. It's going to air from 7 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time instead of 8 to 11. So um, let me know how you feel about that time change. I think I did it for the first time yesterday, and I think it went well. I think I definitely had more listeners than I usually do, so I think it's a better time for people, um, hopefully. So let me know how you feel about that. Um... Let me know how you feel about what's going on in Buffy right now. You know, let's get some opinions in here that aren't just mine. What do you guys think about this whole Drusilla-Buffy parallel? Do you think that Drusilla was a potential slayer? If your answer is no, then don't even bother talking to me about it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I would love any input that you guys have. So just email me, radio at gmail, if you would like to let me know any of your thoughts on this podcast, on Buffy in general on me in general, whatever, let me know your opinions. Um, so my five by five ratings for this episode, this two-parter. Um, as far as enjoyability, like kind of odd to say it's enjoyable because it's heartbreaking. So it's not really enjoyable, but um, I'd say that as far as just how well it was executed and how like every single moment had a purpose and was pretty well executed um just everything was pretty much almost perfect um to tell the story that they wanted to tell in these two episodes I think it won like an Emmy or something for makeup (laughs) like makeup of all things but um Angel actually looks pretty damn good in this episode like I didn't used to find him hot at all but in these first couple seasons I actually find him hot now weird sorry my stomach is gurgling i bet you can hear it i need to wrap this up so i can have some lunch i'm still in my pajamas because i was just like it's four in the afternoon and i'm still in my pajamas because i thought okay i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna do this podcast real quick be done by like two o'clock have some lunch but it's four now because i had to do a bunch of research because my buffy books talked about these episodes so much you guys anyway so I give it a 4.5 for enjoyability. As far as clarity of message, I mean they basically hit you over the head with it. So I'm giving it a 4.5 also for um, clarity. So the final score for this episode when you multiply those two scores together is a 20.25. So there you have it. That is my extremely overly thorough review of surprise and innocence. We'll be back next week. I think, I think it's just one week until the next one. Let me double check and make sure I'm not lying. Yes. So, um, this marks our transition much as it did in 1998. They transitioned from Monday to Tuesday nights in 98. So that means that we are transitioning in the now times of 2018 from Fridays to Saturdays. So, my podcast will now be up on Saturdays instead of Fridays. So, next Saturday, we will talk about Phases, which is an Oz-centric episode. So, we'll get a lot of Willow and Oz interactions next episode. Um, I think we only see Angel for like a second next episode, which is kind of odd after. After what he just put us through for him to just not even be there next week. Um, But I'm pretty sure that's how that's going to go down. So um, I will see you guys next week. Bye.